Hey guys, we'll get going in a minute. Hello, welcome to uh, Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single, a podcaster and writer. Check out Blocked and Reported, my main gig, blockedreported.org, and check out my newsletter at jessesingle.substack.com. Um, I've mostly just been keeping an eye on, Uval- on the Uvalde stuff today, and it's just like so catastrophic. I have very little to say about it that isn't just outrage and like sorrow, but this stuff with the press conference and what's coming out. Uh, what can you say? I'm going to jump straight to Neil because Neil expressed some excitement on Twitter about having a question asked. The rest of you should get in the queue uh, with any questions or comments because um, that's mostly going to be what we're doing today. So please jump in the queue. Neil, what is going on? You saw my tweet. Okay, so I had a like tangentially related uh, question to the shooting. So I think just to preface this, I think you'll probably disagree, but I've seen like multiple people make the argument um, like, oh, you know, kids can't even drink at 18. So why can they own a gun? And my response to that is, yeah, we should reduce the drinking age to 18. Um, and I felt this way since like, since I was like 14. So this isn't like a, like a weekly held belief. I'm 20 now for reference. So still can't drink, maybe biasing my opinion, you know, but um, like, I don't know, it's just so bizarre to me that when you turn 18, you can legally have sex, you can like enlist in the army, but then you can't drink alcohol or, you know, uh, tobacco, they increase that to 21 as well. And it's just like, it's strange to me, like, I feel like there should be consistency, like, make everything 21, or make it all 18. Like, why it's split is just is just strange to me. I don't know. So what are your thoughts? I mean, I would probably, I'd be happy flipping it. I'll, I'll allow you to drink it. If I could, if I can make the rules, I would allow you to drink, Neil. Uh, no, I think 21 is sort of silly for a drinking age. At one point, I was, like, looking into the research on it, and I wanted to do something like, well, if we had a lower drinking age, we'd have less binge drinking because kids would be more used to it. It wouldn't be so underground. I, I talked to a couple like experts, and they were a little bit skeptical that it was that straightforward. Um, I, I'd i be fine with a lower drinking age. I do think 21 is – too high it's just it doesn't really make sense that you can like you're saying do all this other stuff before you're 21 i mean i but i'm also okay seriously tightening up licensing on guns i don't know exactly what the rules should be i do know in many places there's much less licensing than you know owning a car or becoming a hairdresser so uh i'm with you on the drinking i mean what do you think the age or licensing system should be for guns or have you not um no worries if you haven't Uh... thought about that I don't know. I think my beliefs are kind of like simple on this. I don't know. Like I'm sometimes it's like, I don't know. I see both sides, right? It's like, oh, it's a constitutional right. So then it should be super, super easy. And then other people are like, like, oh no, it should be a lot harder. I don't know. For driving, I'm I'm in the process of getting my driver's license. And sometimes I, I, I'm convinced by the, the libertarian argument, argument where you shouldn't even need a driver's license, right? So I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I'm open to being convinced in either direction, I guess. That's fair enough. Uh, I appreciate the call. Yeah, I, I got to think more about it. I definitely agree with you. I don't really get 21 as a drinking age. I think we should uh, we should lower it. Uh, Ned, cool. what is up? Hey, hey what's up, man? Hey. Um, my question is about audience acquisition. I just think about the number of people that would be Jesse Single fans and Blockdown Reporter fans and paid, paid subscribers to your podcast if they could just get exposed to you. And I think that's true for any, you know, talented, thoughtful person. And I was just wondering, do you ever daydream about, you know, a magic machine that could actually do that work? I know because it's a real slog otherwise having to tweet all day long and just rely on word of mouth and stuff like that. So I just think a lot about the technology solutions to this kind of stuff. And it seems like 
it's lacking right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not really a slog. Once you're, I'm in the very fortunate position, I, I can make a good living doing this. So, and my basically the way it works is like the newsletter and the podcast seem to just consistently slowly grow, which is great. Um, I do think there's probably. I'm always mindful of spreading myself too thin. I, I think things like maybe Twitch and YouTube probably have a much larger and a much younger audience than what I have been doing. So I'm sometimes tempted to sort of explore that. I know when I went on um, this popular YouTuber Destiny stream, people seem to really like it. And uh, I've been trying to figure out if there's something I could do there. The problem is like every every new thing I take on or every new sort of short form thing I take on makes it harder for me to like – write longer form magazine articles or to figure out I'd love to write another book if possible. So it's partly a matter of balance. Um, I do think there's a risk of complacency if you just keep saying the same stuff uh, into the same, you know, to the same audience. And there's also a risk of audience capture. But I mean, what are, what are your, what do you have in mind in particular? Do you mean like the Twitch and YouTube stuff or what else? I don't know. Exactly. It wouldn't even necessarily need to be a new medium so much as just something that tells me, tell, you know, YouTube is really in the best position to do it. Uh, my, whatever, you know, my, I use Overcast and then YouTube, which is, all right, I, I know that you've listened to this many thousands of hours of content. If you like Jesse Single and you like John McCorder and you like blah, 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 here's somebody that's not, I'm not just going to recommend Glenn Lowry, like not the usual right, suspects. Right. Like here's an up and coming person. You know, it shouldn't take Sam, Sam Harris surfacing Coleman Hughes to find the next Coleman Hughes, I guess. Yeah, no, and, and I, I'm also worried. There's like this element of like everyone talking about the same things in the same ways, and you know, I don't really want to get lumped in with any group, so I'm, I'm mindful of that. But yeah, I should probably be more, um, you know, accept the fact that going forward, I'm gonna my career is gonna depend on selling myself directly to people and, and get more strategic about that. So I got to think more about that. But I think that's a, an interesting point. Cool. Well, I'm gonna move myself to the audience. But last question, would just be: Did you guys make a? Uh, is it just because it? just inertia of not having done it yet. You guys have not put blocks and reported on YouTube or was there a reason you haven't done it? There's not a reason. Um, we, I think we should just like, I guess talk to Katie about it. I, I, I I just, I don't like administrative work. Like I think the whole, one of the nice things about being in your late thirties and having gained something of a platform is you don't have to do that stuff. I would, I would hire someone to like cut uh, clips from us for YouTube. Maybe I should talk to Katie about that. I do think it's like untapped and untapped area. Lenat, what is up? See, um, good afternoon. Hey. Um, hi. Uh, so, I, today I listened to your interview on uh, gender, uh, wider and um, it was very interesting. Um, and I guess what I wanted to say was um, I'm, a, I'm a psychologist myself. I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, and I'm, um, I'm and I'm also, well, you know, it hey, was there's some sort of um, clacking noise going on. Can you, I don't know if you're rubbing against something or something, but just FYI, but sorry, continue. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Okay, good. So what I was going to say is that I'm a clinical psychologist, um, although I obtained my doctorate like more than 15 years ago. So a lot of the stuff that you talked about during the interview, which was about, uh, trans, you know, trans stuff with children, um, the, the approaches we're taking was, is, is all actually, even though I'm a psychologist, it's all very new to me because my graduate training, I didn't receive any, any training on that. And that's one of the things that I've, um, the challenges that I've faced as uh, as someone who's been practicing for a while, a lot of this stuff related to trans, um, 
trans identity is very new and a lot of the approaches are very new. I can't, I don't feel like even though I, I have a doctorate, it's something that I, I was trained very much on. Uh, and, uh, the other thing I wanted to say that I'm, I'm also, uh, an immigrant. I'm from a Latin American country. Uh, and one of the things as a practicing psychologist that I'm always kind of acutely aware of is, um, how much, um, how much we, you know, how much we in the U, in the U.S. or we kind of, uh, import a lot of our, we make a lot of assumptions about universality when it comes to psychological conditions, even though a lot of them are just kind of based on more Western assumptions. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, and that's, I was wondering if you had, if you had like, know much about like, or if you had read much about, um, about, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of this seems very American centric to me, a very US centric, or like a lot of the protocols on trans were developed in like Western Europe too, and then they've been imported here. But I always think like a lot of this would be feel so odd to, to uh, a psychologist in like facing this in like in my home country, for example. What What do you um, think they would find think, out about it? Um, I, I just don't think that they're accustomed like the idea of having. Um, it, it would just seem so novel of having like like a, a male brain in a woman's body. Those ideas, I don't feel like that's. I feel like that that probably will get. Uh, It'll change over time because, you know, the U.S. has so much influence. But I, I, I just I just think like that's an, an assumption that I don't feel that, that we're talking about when when we were discussing like these are the way the children are, you know, or the psychology of children that I'm not sure that that is true about other countries. Like, I think, like, how would this fit with someone from, you know, with 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 children from from, you know, I don't know, Egypt or my own home country uh, in Latin America. Uh, I just think that a lot of a lot of uh, that would find it unusual. And so it's just to me, I guess what I'm trying to say feels strange to to kind of uh, have these treatment approaches that are like assumed to be universal, because this is this is what we do for mental health. But it's very but, but it's it's very uh i guess culturally specific maybe to the us or to western europe yeah that makes sense well i i think there's some i mean i i agree i don't know that much about the international comparisons i know that the the we've been most influenced by the dutch by this this clinic uh in the netherlands and their approach to it was not like as essentialist as what you're seeing from some clinicians today. So, so I think a lot of what's going on today is exactly what you're saying. It's this essentialist belief that deep down inside you, there's the real you that has your real gender, and that could be male or female or both or neither. And I've often wondered, like, if you have a 14 year old presenting with like multiple complicated mental health problems, I don't know if I'd want them to have a clinician who believes that there is some truth of the matter deep down there that you just need to find, and that is who they are. Full stop. I just, I think navigating gender especially if you're an adolescent is a lot more complicated than that and especially when you're dealing with like the potential of medical interventions you should recognize it as a dynamic process and that that kids can and will feel differently a year from now than they do today i think the dutch 
basically saw this more as a disorder they were treating. They saw gender dysphoria or, or what used to be called gender identity disorder as a disorder they were treating, for better or worse, complete with like a lot of assessment, a lot of mental health support. Um, you know, they obviously believe that there is such a thing as a trans kid and that some kids should transition. But um, I just think it was a much more conservative approach that didn't rely on that idea that you have like a brain of a different sex or a soul of a different sex. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I guess I wonder the universality of uh, gender dysphoria. Um, yeah, it, you know th that is something new. Um, I mean, I and, I, I just uh, I bet it manifests itself very. Di I mean, we just know, you know, we're all swimming in in culture and in um, sort of demand effects. So I, I just like you're saying, I bet it's very different a gender nonconforming thirteen year old in American society today versus in another culture. I just it it's gotta be very different, right? Like how it how it'll manifest itself or whether they'll develop gender dysphoria. Yeah, whether they conceive of it as like that. Like, oh what you're having is the struggles that you're experiencing reflect gender dysphoria. I mean, I'm not saying that they wouldn't experience struggles, but the idea even that it would be gender dysphoria, I I don't know how much the universality of that, um, or even, the, or the treatment approach, like you would take um, this kind of approach of like considering, you know, I, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, Blockers and hormones. hormones or, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that would seem um, that, that I just don't, I think that would seem very unusual. Um, and the fact that I sometimes I worry that it's coming from, you know, people tend to medicalize psychologists, although a lot of it is cultural too, that it's coming, that, it, that, that, I don't know, like they, that we're as a professional organization saying this is the approach. Uh, it just seems, and that tendency to see it as universal. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's going to cause some conflict. Um, be, yeah, they, no, these are these, these Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think these are good points, and that's it's worth keeping in mind that a lot of this stuff is, um, you know, for lack of a better term, constructed, and and our understanding of what gender is and the trajectory of it throughout adolescence, it, these are really based on cultural ideas about what gender is and what gender identity is. So, um, I don't have any any specific insights on the sort of comparative international stuff, but I appreciate the call. I think that's a really good question. Yeah, and I guess my concern is also that. It might, psychology might might come across as alienating if they just kind of adopt this and assume that this is a universal thing. Yeah, I, th um, I think that's um, definitely a um, – yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, thank you for the call. Thank you. Have a good day. Log thank you. You too. Logic guy, long time to, to speak. You got to unmute your, uh, your thing, dude. There yeah, I unmuted go. it. Yes. Hello. How's it going, man? I'm, I'm good. How I'm are you good. Going? Yeah, it's uh, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, although I got to warn you, this is this is an opposition call. This is a call for, from your from your. Uh oh, house. hate away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to uh, I want to talk about uh, turf discourse. Trans exclusionary radical feminists. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that's that is the the acronym. I wanted to talk about the uh, the the argument that you got in with uh, Sam Sam Cedar of, uh, at the Majority Report. Mm -hmm. the, it was kind of a proxy argument. It was kind of an argument between uh, him and uh, Katie. Uh, but you kind of got involved on her side. So yeah. I just wanted to, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, it, you know, you were nice enough to go on my, my podcast uh, like a year ago and uh, we had a good time and we didn't talk about trans issues at all though. Cause I, I honestly, like, 
find them like kind of alienating and confusing. I don't really know what I what I think about a lot of it. You know, like your conversation that you just had right now is an interesting conversation. I don't I don't know what I think about any of that stuff though. I really kind of am a sort of a blank slate. You got to pick a side, man. You're a fascist. That's well, yeah. Well, that's the side I'm comfortable with though. Like I, I'm I'm, <laughs> a, I'm a nonpartisan fascist. There we so go. That's that's my that, yeah. Um, but uh, so I guess I'm confused as to what Katie's objection to being called a turf even is. Um. We actually just recorded on this, but she she is not a radical feminist and she's not trans-exclusionary. Her view, which uh, I think is pretty similar to mine, I think in some areas she's a little bit more conservative for lack of a better descriptor. Uh-huh. Her view is that in most cases, someone's gender identity should be um, respected, pronouns should be respected. She just thinks there's certain you know, outlying, but probably important to talk about settings where biological sex might trump gender identity, which is more or less my view. And in my experience, that will get you labeled a TERF. And, you know, people don't want to be called a TERF because TERFs are at this point seen as basically adjacent to Nazis, which I think is sort of fucking insane, but that's where we are. Okay. Um, So I want to be really careful how I I phrase this because it would be really easy to get in a position where I'm questioning you or interrogating you about like katie's position which isn't no i can speak for her i'm a a man she's a woman i can speak for her that's excellent that 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 will make the conversation a lot a lot easier but um i mean so i i've i've read a lot of writing from katie i've listened to a lot of interviews with her um and in my what i've taken away from this is that her her views are are more or less in line with um with trends exclusionary people um i mean it seems silly to, to quibble over the radical feminist part of it like it seems like that's not really the uh where where the crux of the argument is so they, yeah. that's that seems like kind of a deflection to me it's it's about the it's about the trans exclusionary part and I well mean, so are you so are you is the argument that if you think there are any uh situations where gender identity shouldn't trump sex that makes you trans exclusionary uh, I would say I, I wouldn't say that, but I would say Katie's agreements, from what I've gathered, and uh, like I said, I've listened to her talk a lot, are are far broader than that. Um, I, again, I, I want to just be careful about. I don't want to like interrogate you about Katie's opinions, but have you listened to her appearance on uh, on Thaddeus Russell's podcast? I have not. Okay, because that was the thing that kind of cemented this for me. Um, because up until then, like you know, I, I just sort of noticed that when she spoke, and I'd be curious to know what your take on this is. But I have found, in my opinion that when Katie talks about, um, about trans people, in particular trans women, she often does so with a, a lot of derision in her voice and like mockery. And that was just my general takeaway. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call her turf because of that. That was just my subjective experience. I, I, I don't know if that's your experience. No, I mean, I, I, I think she's respectful. I mean, you know, Katie's obviously arch and um, jokes about everything on Twitter. So I think in much the same way she's joked about everything else, she's joked about this subject. I think she's similar to me in that she sees um, nothing as off limits. I also think she's sort of um, uh, comes at it from a different, and you're right. I don't, I don't want to speak over her too much, but I think she comes at it from a different place because I, I do think in lesbian communities, like I believe her when she says that there's been a huge amount of people transitioning who would have been bitch, butch lesbians. I just, okay. So I was that, that, to, yeah. that, that really is the kind of the crux of it really because so i just want to back up to um to thaddeus russell thing because there were two things two things in particular she said during that interview that stuck with me as like 
I would go so far as to call them bigoted, right? What'd she say that was bigoted? The, the, sorry, I, I accidentally covered my microphone with my thumb. I, I have a bad habit of doing that. Um, one thing I don't like about this platform is that it's just it's just over your phone microphone, you know, so which typically isn't the best. Yeah, I have a little plug-in thing, which is helpful, but um, yeah. we'll just yeah. I don't I don't want to eat up too much time with it, but let me know what are the things she said you thought were bigoted. I okay, can't really so, give responses so one, to that. Okay, so so one, it's kind of hard to explain, but they got into that term uh, front hole, which is uh, very um, controversial. But one thing about that term that I know that I think a lot of people don't is that no one is proposing that you refer to women's anatomy, like all women's anatomy, using that admittedly revolting term, it's a term that some people with gender dysphoria prefer for, their, for themselves. And no one's asking, like, typically you don't refer to people's genitals at all. It's only a select group of people like loved ones, spouses, and, and your doctor who would even talk about it. So that, that's what I think about that term. But I was surprised to find out that in that, in that interview, Katie made it clear that she did understand that distinction. She did understand that it was how it was used. And she still objected to it, which means she has a problem with how trans women refer to their own genitals, which strikes me as a weird thing. Like, the, like that's Well, this would, be trans, this would be trans men, right? Um, you're correct. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah trans, right. trans men, yes. I, I misspoke. Um, yeah. Uh, so that just struck me as weird. Like, she, has, she understands that distinction, but she has a problem with how trans men refer to their own genitals. That's weird. And there was a second thing, and this is the more substantial one, um, where she talked about, which has been a reoccurring theme with her, you kind of alluded to it right now, her opinion that um, transitioning is some, is some kind of like anti-lesbian genocide, which is only a slight exaggeration of what she actually believes and has put in writing several times. Though both those strike me as pretty controversial beliefs. So the front hole thing, I... I, I, I... I hope it doesn't make me a bigot. I, I just think it's like, but just it's a term that. No, I know. I just I I, I don't. I'm not going to drag someone for making fun of it because I I think it's so silly and and I just don't think it makes any sense to be like I, I will feel harm if I refer to this part of my body with one word, but if I use a euphemism for it, I'll be fine. I I just don't know. But, but Jesse, it's people who it's people who I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's people who have gender dysphoria. That's a medical condition. Sure. I, I would not I would not make a big deal about this. I just I don't think it really is a sign of her being a big and I think it's a sign of her making fun of something that comes across to a lot of people as pretty silly. The the sort of just social con- stronger language than silly. I would okay. recommend that you listen to the to the interview. Okay. Um the lesbians becoming non binary or trans men thing, all I'll say is that like she is not like I think there's some degree of that happening. I know that if you like if you say that there's any degree of social influence here that's seen as bigoted. I think that's silly. I think all this stuff is – a lot of things are socially constructed, and I think there's – I've talked firsthand to people who, who say that as like a butch lesbian, they feel some pressure. They're told they're really trans or they should look into the fact that they might be trans because I, I just think it's pressure like – there's From like the community of other LGBT people. It's like if so like you have – yeah, if you're female and you have short hair and you come across as butch, you will endlessly get asked what your pronouns are. People will assume you're not a girl. I know someone who has a very butch kid, and all that stuff is happening to her kid, and her kid is just 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 a tomboy. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't, 
you know, we have no data on this. We don't know how much it's happening, but Katie's just not the we, only person. We do have some data on it. K- Katie pointed to, and this was in the, when Glenn Greenwald was defending her. Well, I know we have data. More kids are identifying that. Right, but they, we don't, they, we have they no idea. to a study that specifically showed that there's more lesbians now than there were before. In raw numbers, there's more lesbians. In raw numbers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's also a lot more kids identifying. I, I also think it's like probably harmless in most cases if kids explore different identities. I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I think if you asked around uh, lesbians, this this is a thing that hap- is happening. I think uh, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. I because I don't think most people like seek out medical treatment. But yeah, I agree. That's definitely a controversial view. And it's, okay. I mean, I don't think it. I, it's a controversial view among people we see on Twitter. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, yeah. There's some weird stuff going on on the gender front. I, I think. <laughs> Let, let me uh, rephrase it uh, as controversial, which is kind of a neutral term, and say that I, I think it probably qualifies as bigoted along the same lines as, like, uh, like great replacement. It, it, it is similar in themes to, like, great replacement and white genocide conspiracy theories. I mean, but I don't, I don't think over. lesbians are getting genocided or wiped out. I think if you use it in those terms, that's taking it way too far. I think if the question is whether there's some social influence going on causing – you know, some degree of pressure for butch lesbians to identify as male or non-binary that I would agree with. Okay. Well, please pass along my message to Katie that uh, I challenge her to debate and I will utterly destroy her with facts. And I'm sure she will respond well to that. I appreciate appreciate the invitation <laughs> for her. Thanks a lot, you guys. Yep. Blynn, what is up? Blynn, you got to uh, undo your microphone, my friend. All right, I'm going to skip to Shauna. Blue, if you get back in line, I'll bump you to the front uh, next next gap. Shauna, what's up? Hey, good afternoon, Jesse. Do you have any fun plans for the weekend? You always seem to have great times with your friends. I don't know that – I didn't know that you had so many friends, but – Oh, that's any- – I don't feel like I always have great plans with my friends. I actually, on a whim, I drove home to Boston – well, original home to Boston. I'm going to a basketball game tonight because uh, – my girlfriend is out of town. Uh, she's not back to the weekend, so I'm going to a big playoff game that I'm very excited to see. Other than that, there's like one barbecue. I don't know what else is going on. Very little. Probably some video games. So it's not going to be that exciting, actually. Okay. Well, I see a lot of forms of liquid cheese in your future then. I just get that sense Ooh, for the I, weekend. There will definitely be some liquid cheese. It's not a good weekend without liquid cheese. <laughs> um, so just – off topic, but something I have been thinking about. Is there any consideration by you or Katie, your better half, to go on Persona Non Grata, Bill Maher's show? I mean, obviously, I'll talk about Rogan occasionally and, and that platform, but I wasn't sure if Bill Maher was an interest at all or if he is, as I said before, Persona Non Grata. Oh, as in, would we go on Bill Maher if he asked us? Yes. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I don't have any of the problems with Mar. Uh, to me, I, I just it's a subjective thing. I think Tucker Carlson has like crossed certain lines. I think some of the claims against Tucker, Tucker Carlson are exaggerated, but I not that I would be invited anyway. But I, I don't think I would do that. Whereas Bill Mar, yeah, he said controversial shit, but he's he's nowhere near. I don't think he's crossed enough lines for me to have any concerns. I would absolutely go on Bill Mar in the same way I'd go back on Joe Rogan. So you should get yeah, Bill Mar to invite us on. Is what I'm saying. 
okay, I will, I will work in the background and to make that happen for sure. Um, I was just thinking, um, because I, I do watch him on occasion or listen to his podcast and, uh, it just seems like that platform and, and honestly, many people that I enjoy listening to podcasts, uh, commentators have appeared on there. And I just, um, I think it's one of the few forums that, uh, he openly has debate from all sides. And I know that when I, I, I grew up with my parents watching his original show, I think at 1130 after the news. So I've been watching him a long time. Yeah. And of course I, I use the term persona non grata tongue in cheek, uh, just because, you know, he, he will lament that he hasn't changed, but, uh, his democratic party has, they've been the ones to move. So I just thought it would be a good platform. I'll see what I can do uh, on the back end, but, um, I just think it'd be, I'd love to see either <laughs> one of you on there. So thank you, Sean. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. So that was in, that was it. Enjoy your game and your cheese. Appreciate it. I will. There'll be a lot of cheese. Rye, you may have the heavy responsibility of being the final caller. Oh, man. Let's see if I can live up to it. I don't live up to much, so no one get their hopes up. I, I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I always feel like I should start off with like a Howie Carr, like, hey, Jesse. Um, <laughs> but uh, I kind of had like two different thoughts I wanted to run past you. And if I start rambling, just cut sure. me off. You are coming I in a little get... bit hot, so maybe just uh, move your mouth back. I don't know. The sound in here sometimes gets messed up, but go ahead. All right. Is that a little better? It is, yeah. Perfect. Um, so. I was wondering your thoughts on kind of the, I don't know if you read any of Gail Harriet's stuff, but her thoughts on how a lot of, you know, some of the cultural changes come from uh, loosening up of civil rights law in like the nineties to become more subjective um, and how that kind of combines with like Wesley Yang's theory of like, you know, these people kind of grabbing the choke points in the administration and then using these more subjective laws to kind of enforce compliance through you know different companies at kind of an elite level that then i'm not i'm not down. what's the name of the person i'm not familiar with this uh gail harriet okay. yeah totally unfamiliar i'll, I'll look it up yeah and so like the, that's kind of the theory behind it then that wesley yang kind of talks about that a little bit and how that subjectivity of the law allows you know people who are in those administrative positions to you know apply them in novel ways that then kind of forces compliance through, you know, I don't know all of his terminology, he makes up a new term every week, but through his like messaging apparatus thing and like yeah. what you would think about um, a move to kind of like maybe retighten some of those um, harassment and discrimination laws so that the definitions are more concrete, if you think that would, you know, be a good solution or if that would work. Um, yeah, I would just without, I would just have to look more to the theory, but that, that sounds interesting to me. Uh, okay, we'll skip through that one then. Um, and then I kind of wanted to just kind of get your thoughts on something I've been thinking about um, in that, you know, there's kind of a political realignment going on right now a little bit. And I'm not super stoked about it, but it does seem to be happening. And I think it's going to be more permanent than people realize just because I think like a lot of people in the country are suffering almost like a psychological break with the Democratic Party. And then from there, I think what happens is the people we feel good feelings towards we like then rationalize post ad hoc like ourselves to align ourselves with you know policy positions that go along with you know the new party where we put those feelings so like i think you kind of see this now with like roe v wade everyone thought it was going to be a huge break for the party but people who had already kind of psychologically broken with democrats kind of 
are already kind of re-rationalizing themselves into going along with it with Republicans, which makes it look to me like this would be a very long-term realignment of politics towards like a pretty solid Republican majority. And what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I don't. I don't think there's going to be a solid Republican majority. I think it's just going to be more and more polarization for the foreseeable future. I think there's like not that many people who are actually swingable, and I think we, you know, operating in our spaces, we get uh, oversample of the sorts of people who might announce they're leaving the Democratic Party over this or that. I mean, Trump didn't actually cause some sort of mass wave of defections from the Republican Party. I, I just think most people are very locked in and we're going to have the dysfunction of like tightly contested two-party rule for a very long time. If I had to predict, obviously none of this is like my area of expertise. But you, you, you're saying you really think there's going to be a shift toward the Republicans despite like Trump's unpopularity and all that? Yeah, I think that like when people – and I think part of it just has to do with how much in like the daily life they face, you know, like – it's not the Republicans running the weird trainings at work, right? You know, they don't associate that with the Republican Party. So I think they just kind of get bombarded by stuff they don't particularly like in daily life more often by Democrats. I think once you get like really worse feelings towards one party, you kind of rationalize yourself towards the other. And that makes it seem like this would be more permanent to me. But well, maybe, maybe, I'm, sense maybe I'm panicking too much. No, yeah. I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, I think a lot of people who work and live in liberal circles might encounter more proximate day-to-day -day annoyance from liberals. But most people, they're busy. Like the training they have to do at work is just another hour and a half of whatever on top of whatever else. And I think um, they're just – they have so many other concerns and they're so busy that um, – I mean, I'm obviously biased. I want it to be the case that you're wrong. I think I'm just skeptical that this culture war stuff has that big of an impact on the average person whose ideas about politics are probably pretty set and already tied up in their identity. That's, I mean, I hope I'm wrong too. So <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for the call though. That's um, yeah. I got to think through that stuff more. Cool. Bye. Ray. See ya. Thank you everyone for, uh, listening and for tuning in and for your questions it's a good talk uh as always i would just ask for you guys um if you like what i'm doing oh, super ass i have not played uh that game you mentioned uh honey pop i've never played a dating sim actually i'm gonna go look into it um yeah thank you guys for tuning in uh there is this new chat function that not everyone has discovered if you hit the little um uh, word bubbles. Uh, at least that's how it looks in my feed. You can find a chat and talk to other people. Uh, but yeah, thank you for tuning in. If you like what I'm doing, please tell other people about it. Uh, and I hope you have a good weekend and go Celtics. And I'll be back next week. Thank you.